All right, so John is in the back. If children want to be dismissed to Children's Church at this point, they can. Children four to eight, they're welcome to stay if they'd like. But they'll get something different with John. And we're continuing in the book of Acts, so if you can turn to chapter 8 of Acts, page 916, if you're using the Bibles here at the church, Acts chapter 8, beginning in the second half of verse 1. All right, before we begin, let's pray to the Lord. Dear Father, God, we are so glad to be here. We thank you, O Lord, that you speak to us through your word and that we have the privilege of hearing this morning. We pray that you would keep us from being asleep. Instead, Lord, may we listen. May our hearts listen. We know we need your spirit to do that. We pray that you'd come and you'd, um, Lord, help our hearts to be soft and hear your word speaking to us, uh, confronting us where we need it, encouraging us, comforting us where we need it. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Okay, Acts chapter 8. Beginning at verse 1, and if you haven't been with us through our series, it's important to know in terms of context that uh, Stephen, um, one of the members of the early church, has just been martyred, just been killed, and um, then we read in the beginning of verse 1 that Saul approved of his execution. We'll learn more about Saul as we go along in our series. So we pick up in uh, the second half of verse 1, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down uh, to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him, and they saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. God's word. Uh, Maybe some of you know the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. At 17 years old, she was beautiful, she was popular, she was athletic, everything was going right for her until she had a diving accident that left her without the use of her arms or her legs. She was locked in a wheelchair, unable to do anything for herself. She describes hating her life and especially her power wheelchair, because it represented everything that had gone wrong, all she had lost. She would drive her wheelchair into the wall again and again until it would break. It took a couple years, but 
uh, change came when she realized that her wheelchair was actually a tool for God's work in her life. Her wheelchair exposed all the things that she had idolized. Her wheelchair humbled her in the same way that Jesus was humbled when he came to earth and and Paul was humbled by his chains. Her wheelchair was an opportunity to be faithful, to tell others about Jesus and experience the joy that God can bring out of trouble in our lives. It's tempting of us to think of times of hardship in our lives as sort of something we need to get through. We need to, once we get to the other side, then, then I can start to live my life. Then I can start doing what God wants me to do. If I can just get through this. But what if your hardship, like Johnny's wheelchair, is exactly the calling that God has given you? What do we see here in this text? We've got God's church living the life in Jerusalem. They're they're young, they're energetic, there's a massive revival going on. They're they're living in peace and unity with each other. And, And then they get hit with trouble, like a load of bricks to the head. But at the end of the text, after they've been faithful to keep talking about Jesus, what do we see? Verse 8, joy. Could that happen in your life? Paul Miller writes about Johnny's story. God has given each of us a wheelchair. It might be a critical spouse, a wayward child, an always tight budget, or the prospect of lifelong singleness. These chairs are doors to knowing Jesus in ways we never imagined but they must be received. We can't push them away. We need to say with Johnny, it's my wheelchair. What if your faithfulness through suffering, through trouble, is exactly what brings you closer to God and and makes you more like your Savior? Taking away the meaninglessness of suffering in this life. So even your darkest moments are full of purpose. Maybe that sounds too good to be true for you. But that is exactly what we see throughout God's word and here in Acts chapter 8. And we'll see this today in in three points. Trouble, faithfulness, and joy. So first, trouble. Now, one way to think about where we are in the book of Acts is we've got this, this pot of soup boiling, okay, that represents the city of Jerusalem, and it's a tasty soup. We've got Pentecost, we've got unity, we've got constant prayer, we've got preaching of the word, we've got the miracles of the apostles, we've got good leadership, right? All these things we've seen over the past couple of weeks in our study of the book of Acts. Maybe if you can think of like the richest period of your spiritual life. That's sort of what's going on here in Jerusalem. There's this incredible spiritual energy. People are, are, thousands of people are joining this church. Uh, But the pot is also starting to heat up. It's starting to simmer. It's starting to boil. It's getting close to the top. The, The Christians are warned 
Some of the people in Jerusalem start to back away. There's a bit of a division. People like the church still, but they're not sure about joining it. Uh, and then, then the apostles get grabbed by the Jewish leaders. They're beaten and warned again. Uh, and then, you know, these, these rumors start flying around with Stephen riling up some of the people. And eventually he gets grabbed and there's false accusations coming. And then he's martyred, right? The, the pot boils over. The tension snaps. And we read here in verse 1, a great persecution arose in Jerusalem. You can almost imagine the pot being dumped over at this point. And, and this, this tasty soup running out over a map of the world. First we see in verse 1 to Judea and to Samaria. But will the soup keep its flavor and its saltiness? And it's at this point that we meet this man named Saul. He's taken upon himself to destroy the early church. It's almost like he has some sort of personal grudge with this church. Look at the violent language there in verse 3. Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Right, So, I mean, you're, if you're experiencing this, here you are, you're hiding in your house, you're waiting for this lunatic guy to knock down your doors and drag you off to jail. Or else, you're, you're sneaking out of the city late at night just trying to keep your children quiet so you can get out of there. This is real life. This is hardship. Things were going great and everything fell apart. Maybe that sounds familiar. That's when we begin to doubt. You can imagine the questions in, in these people's heads as this is happening. You know, what, what happened? Has God forsaken us? Why are these things happening to us? We were all doing great in Jerusalem. I mean, people were joining the church. You know, why, why did he scatter us like this? Why do we have to suffer like this? Does, does God know what he's doing? Surely these are some of the questions being asked. But, but whatever the questions, notice what doesn't happen. They're not silenced. That's the temptation when trouble comes. We're tempted to be silent, to, to stop believing, to pull away from our Lord, to doubt the plans of our Father. But these scattered believers show us a different way to live. The soup stays salty even as it's poured out. And so my second point, faithful. Faithful. We, we would expect these people, right? The, the expectation we would have is as they leave, they look for someplace to hide, you know? A, a dark hole somewhere, someplace where they could just be quiet, lay low maybe, you know? Wait till things calm down a bit. But that's not what they do. Verse 4, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They don't seem to have learned their lesson at all. Now, we're not told how they felt, but they're humans. I bet they doubted. I bet they were frightened. But they did not stop telling people about the good news. Apparently, they don't view their suffering as a sign that the good news is untrue. That could be a temptation, right? 
sometimes we're tempted to believe, you know, because we're suffering, God's promises must not be true. Because things aren't going the way, you know, we think things should go. God can't possibly be at work right now. If he would just do what we say, everything would go well. If he would just make us more comfortable, then we would be bold to tell people about Jesus Christ. No, trouble is not what smothers the church. It's wealth and complacency that smother God's people. Over and over again. It's through trouble that God's kingdom is advanced. Uh, Over and over again we see this. It's through suffering that that life and joy are born. How, How did God bring salvation to the world? Right, Jesus suffered and died. The greatest act of life comes through death. Through the hardship of Acts 8, God is doing, in fact, exactly what he promised he would do. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus told his followers that they would be his witnesses, not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, Honestly, it sort of seems when you're reading these beginning chapters of Jerusalem that these believers, they would have been happy to just hang out in Jerusalem for the rest of their lives. I mean, wouldn't you? But that's not God's plan. And he, he uses persecution to scatter them throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, of course, their enemies, right, they want to quench the gospel. They want to destroy it. But what happens? In scattering these believers, they scatter the gospel as well. The enemies of God cannot win. It's like, it's like kicking one of those dandelion flowers. You know what I'm talking about? The, not the, the yellow flowers, but the white seeds, the little globes that in the spring, you see them all over your yard. And you know, you, you go and you kick one And, well, good for you. Okay, you just took out that little dandelion flower. But guess what? You just planted 30 more dandelion flowers in your yard. That's what those who wanted to destroy the gospel did. That's what God can do through hardship. Remember Joseph. Joseph spent years in Pharaoh's jail. He was sold into slavery by his own brothers. He faithfully served, even down in the pit. But later in life, he reminds his brothers, right, what you meant for harm, God has used for good, to save lives. Remember Johnny from my introduction, the wheelchair that she hated, that she tried to destroy, that became her ministry. Sitting in that wheelchair, she has ministered to thousands of people, thousands of disabled people who no one was paying attention to. She's, she's explained to so many of us who fail to understand, like she has, that, that God works powerfully through the trouble of our lives. Of course, when we're in the middle of trials, right? it's hard to believe this. It is hard to believe this. We need trust. We need faith. We need to remind ourselves of stories like this one in in Acts chapter 8. I'm sure, right, if, again, we were to jump into the lives of these believers as they're fleeing Jerusalem, they didn't know how God would possibly use this situation. 
How something good could possibly come out of the church being destroyed in their minds. And yet, just think, think about how much you can see God's purpose now all over this passage, right? Before Saul even became Paul, He's already being used to spread the gospel. He's the one that kicked the dandelion flower and sent the seeds scattering. And these are seeds that Paul, Paul, right, Saul turns to Paul, would later be instrumental in forming into churches. You need to to saturate yourself in, in texts like this that remind you of the sovereign goodness and the purpose of God. But now looking back at our text, notice in verse 5, we're given a specific example, right? So we have this general, uh, you know, many people are scattered. Many are scattered and they preach the word. But in verse 5, we read about one of them. We're given a specific story told about this guy named Philip. He goes down to a city in Samaria and he proclaims to them the Christ. And there's a couple things that are notable about this example. First, notice who Philip is. Uh, he's probably the same guy we are, we've already seen, chapter 6, one of those first seven deacons that the church appointed. Uh, he's not one of the apostles who were, who were specifically set apart and gifted to work by sharing the word, to, to pray and to, to minister the word. And, and in fact, actually, right, you probably noticed this, none of the people who were scattered and go about preaching the word are apostles. Right At the end of verse 1, we're told the apostles all stayed in Jerusalem. We don't, we don't know why. But one thing this makes clear to us is that these people sharing God's word, they're just faithful Christians of all walks of life. They're not specially trained or called. And this is why one of the goals of our church is to see everyone here able to tell people about Jesus. So that if, if we were scattered, if we were persecuted and pulled apart and thrown like dandelion seeds to the wind, churches would spring up wherever we were planted. And second, notice what Philip tells people. He tells people about Jesus Christ. Just like we move from a general scattering of people to a specific man named Philip, we also move from a general preaching of the word to a specific message about Christ, which is important because people don't simply need to hear about, about, you know, that there's a God or that how to be a good person. No, they need to hear how God intervened in history to save his people through Jesus Christ. Right? The preaching of the word always involves the proclamation of Christ because Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's word. Thirdly, notice where Philip goes. Right? He goes to a city in Samaria. And you know, many of you remember that Samaritans, they're, uh, they're not really friends with, with Jews. Uh, in fact, they are enemies. But where does Philip go? He goes to his enemies. They need to hear about Jesus too. In, in our country, in a country where it feels like people are farther and farther apart, we, we need to hear this. Everyone needs to hear about Jesus, not just people like us. And, and neither do people need to become like us to believe 
in Jesus. Jesus brings wildly diverse people together into one body, and then he changes all of us, all of us, you too. And he makes us into something new. We come finally to the last section of our text, verses 6 to 8, and we see that from the trouble of God's people comes joy. Looking at these uh, three final verses, we see that Philip, he tells people about Jesus and they respond. They listen. Miracles happen. And as a result, verse 8, it summarizes things. There is much joy in that city. Now, we don't know whether this joy showed up in every city that these Christians were scattered to in the same way. It it does seem like Philip's story is is sort of uh, chosen as a representative story. So maybe that means that there was a similar response in many of these other cities. But, But we don't know. Maybe some of these other believers were killed, like Stephen. Is there still joy for them? Yes, Stephen looked up. He saw his his Savior waiting there with open arms. A different ending, but a joyful ending nonetheless. But you know, one of the revealing things about the author's use of this word joy here is this is the first time he uses this word in the book of Acts, and really any word like it, actually. Uh, You know, he doesn't doesn't describe the honeymoon period of the church early on in Acts. Things looked pretty good back then. He doesn't use this word to describe that period. He doesn't use it to describe the unity, the love, you know, the fellowship that this great massive church of thousands of believers was was, uh, experiencing, the revival. No, he uses it when fleeing refugees in a foreign city are faithful. Tell people about Jesus. The Spirit works and people listen. And there's joy. There's joy. Again, do you think the believers who who left Jerusalem, who were poured out from the city, knew they would experience joy in these new homes? We don't know. It must have been hard to believe. Maybe they knew enough about God to expect and trust that somehow they would see joy. That if they suffered with Christ like they'd been called to, they would surely rise with Him. So right in the middle of their trouble, right in the valley of the shadow of death, they Stay faithful, and they proclaim the name of Christ. And from their darkness rises joy like a flower in the middle of a burnout forest. I'm sure the trouble that many of you face is hard. The troubles the early church faced were hard. The text is not minimizing their troubles. They're real. People suffered. People died. People were separated from their friends. They they must have been filled with doubt. But don't stop being faithful if you can't see what God is doing with your trouble. Remain faithful. Maybe you should be made bold by your trouble, wondering what what might God be doing? Uh, Haven't you seen how God works through 
trouble? Consider, what could he do with yours? Where could joy be planted? Because of your faithful commitment to your Savior. As we think about worldwide persecution, pray for the faithfulness of your brethren. Look, rejoice over the harvest. They're scattering. People around the world are finding their hope, not in earthly promises, things that pass away, but in the everlasting, life-changing love of God given to us in Jesus Christ. That is good news. But if you do feel alone in your troubles, I want to remind you of a story you know. It's the same story that was on the minds of the believers in the book of Acts as they left their homes, as they fled from Jerusalem. It's the hope that fueled them. It's the story that they told to everyone that they met. It's about a man who was born in a stable. He was not just a man. He was the son of God. He was lonely. He suffered. He, he died. He knew he came to suffer and die. He knew he would face trouble, just like you do. He persevered like you. He cried out, Abba, Father, in his pain, like you do. He went before you into exile. He went before you into death. He went before you into resurrection, into new life. And he took the judgment of the living God upon himself so that you would not have to. It is knowing him that causes joy to be born in the midst of your trouble. When you truly know him, you cannot keep quiet about him. He's the savior of the world. He's life, he's joy to all who take hold of him. So take hold of him. Do not let go. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we want to take hold of our savior Jesus. Just like these believers did as they fled this city. They were faithful to keep telling people about Jesus. They were faithful to not see their troubles as a sign, Lord, that they had been forgotten, that you could not possibly be at work. Lord, be patient with us. You know we struggle to live in faith in the midst of trouble. And give us these stories. Remind us of how you have worked in the past. Lord, even through great trouble, even through great trial. Lord, and encourage us with walking, following our Savior who went into trouble and came out to the resurrection. We pray this in his name and by his power. Amen.